0: Where well, we launched our series last weekend called Traders, talking about the reality that the, the American dream, or the world's dream, is not synonymous with the dream of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus uh, preached and, and described for us. And that we've been called uh, to be a people who trade in the pursuits of this world and who embrace all that Christ has for us. And I, I'm, I'm joined here by Nicole Garcia this morning. Uh, Nicole is a nurse. Uh, for North Bank Surgical Center, and uh, she's, uh, she's been doing some trading uh, this summer. So, Nicole, talk to us about that.
1: <clears throat> well, as Steve said, I'm a nurse, and uh, this past summer... excuse me. This past summer I uh, traded what would typically be a week of vacation for me from my job um, to go out and continue my job as a nurse out at uh, Young Life Camp Washington Family Ranch uh, for a week um, ministering the medical needs of high schoolers and middle schoolers at uh, Young Life Camp.
0: So um, vacation, um, many of us like when we we want vacation. We want a time of renewal and rest. That's a good thing. Uh, We think of places like a beach or go some a cabin in the woods or uh, take your kids somewhere. But uh, to go work with high schoolers um, sounds like not very restful uh, and and work. But talk. What 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 did God do in that week of vacation that you used to serve at Washington Family Ranch?
1: Well, it definitely was um, exhausting by the end of the week. However, um, it was just a really powerful week to be able to um, minister to to high schoolers throughout the week, different medical needs, some things I was expecting, you know, skinned knees, sprained ankles bug bites, sun, sun blocks that didn't get put on. Um, however, I, I ended up, be, uh, the last two days of camp, becoming um, really close with one of the probably sickest campers there. There was 700 campers that week. and. Um, I met a girl uh, named Lainey. she was 16 years old, and she actually had to be sent home because she was suffering from a pretty severe stages of an eating disorder. And um, over the last couple days that she was at camp, I, I got a chance to really get to know her and pray with her and get to hear her heart. Um, and it's been just a huge blessing. Over the last few months of the summer, I've been able to stay in contact with her, um, build a friendship and a relationship, and um, she actually went home and went into a treatment program over the summer uh, for her eating disorder. So definitely not what I was expecting to um, come away with from camp, but definitely a major way God has worked through that experience.
0: Great, thanks, Nicole. Would you thank Nicole for just sharing this, this short little testimony? Uh, again, I just I just wanted to give you a snapshot from a, from a person's life of what what being a trader can look like. I mean, it's a simple thing as just trading a week's vacation in uh, to uh, to serve and use a gift, a talent that God's given, use time that's available to to serve others. And you know, we saw some of those snapshots, those pictures in that video. Uh, we heard about Abraham leaving Ur. We heard about Paul planting churches all around the known world at that particular time. You know, names like. John John and Betty Stamm who are in China or uh, people just giving of their time. And, you know, you could, you could hear stories like that and you, you might be saying, you, you might, you might just say, well, Steve, here's what you need to know is that I'm not Abraham. I'm, I'm not going to pick up all I own and, and go move someplace. I don't, I don't think it's, that's God's call on my life. I'm, I'm not Paul. I, I don't, I'm not going to travel the world planting churches and I'm not Cory ten Boom. I wouldn't survive a day in, in prison. Uh, that's, not who I am, and I want to say to you, you're absolutely right. That's not who you are. But the important question that each and every one of us must answer is, well, if I'm not Paul, and if I'm not Abraham, and if I'm not Cory Tamboum, who am I? Who are you? And not, not just what's your name or what do you do for a living, who are you? Who has God created you to be? and last week we we talked about the, the reality that you were created on purpose for a purpose before you were ever conceived by your mother and father you were conceived in the mind of God Psalm 139 makes that very clear we looked at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 and saw that there in the life of Jeremiah Acts chapter 17 verse 26 tells us that you have been not only created on purpose but God has placed you in this point of world's history to live out his purposes so it's very critical very important that we understand the calling the purposes for which Christ has called us to now here's the reality Rick Warren in his book the purpose-driven life he's written tons on purpose but in his book purpose-driven life he talks about the three levels that people live their lives and the first level that people live their lives in is survival mode they're just they're leaving Sunday, getting to Monday and just hoping to survive the week at one foot in front of the other to get done with Friday so they can just kind of catch their breath on the weekend. It's survival mode. It's almost like it's zombie like I'm just uh, the walking dead. I'm just just trying to make it. A lot of people live their life in that in that level uh, of, of living. Uh, Warren also says that some people live the life on the level of success. Meaning they're pursuing, uh, you know, things and, and materials and fame and uh, they're attempting to live the good life. To, to, to feel good, to look good and have the goods. But if you think about it, people who have acquired masses of wealth or have acquired a lot of things, material possessions, what you learn from their lives is that they're still searching. That it's, uh, it, it's an empty existence, and, and, and so success, that living at that level is, is, is not a very satisfying way to live your life. But the level that we've been called to live our lives in is a level of significance. And significance is not related to size. It's not about big. Significance is when you have answered life's very basic questions. Questions like, what is the meaning of life? Who am I and what on earth am I here for? When you answer those questions and you know for what purpose that you have been created for, you enter this level of living, this level of significance. It's not about, again, it's not about big. It's not about being known. It's about this satisfying way of living life in which you are pleasing the Father because you're living out the purposes for which you were created. And that is Significant. And so what we want to be, we want to be a people who understand why we, why we have been created and what God has called us to. And I want to help us understand that calling because what we want to do is we do not want to embrace empty modes of living. We're trading that in and we are living out the dream, not the American dream, we're living out the kingdom of God dream for which Jesus painted all kinds of pictures and taught us about. It's an upside down kingdom. Remember, he, he often said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this, it's a different culture in which to live and this is the culture that Christ has invited us, the way that he has called us to live our lives. So I want to answer this question of who are we and what is my purpose by looking at a, a, a portion of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, I'm going I'm to read the first 16 verses. But before I do, I want to kind of give you, you know, kind of like when you, before you see a movie, you, see a, you, you watch a trailer. Let me just give you a trailer to the first half of Ephesians chapter 4, because it's pretty, you know, stocked full, stacked full of content, Here's what you're gonna hear right from the very beginning, verse one. You're gonna hear that you have a calling on your life and you're called to live a, that, that life in a worthy fashion. But then Paul, what he's gonna do, he's gonna shift gears. He's not gonna to talk to us about her, uh, our calling. It's like he doesn't want us to know yet. There's some other things we need to know first. Things like humility, gentleness, love, love. Being tied, sort of crocheted together with peace. Knowing that there will be people who will offend you. You know, overlook it. Strive for unity in the body. Before he's going to talk to us about anything about our calling, he wants us to understand that the calling will be, it will be lived out effectively when we are loving one another. So he doesn't even tell us yet what they are, but it tells us to aim Aim for the, the, these, these, these attributes of who Jesus is. And then he'll talk about ascending and descending because he, he, he wants to t- tell us that Jesus did come from heaven to earth and then ascended, and as he did, he gave us gifts. And then we'll have these five callings that he'll list out for us. And then he'll end out these, these final verses. What you're going to see is you're going to see that when these callings are empowered and equipped in the life of the church, the church matures. The church is protected from false teaching. It's sort of the the trailer to to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. So I'm going to read it. If you'd follow along, that'd be great. If you'd stand with me as I read, I'd appreciate that as we honor God's word. Ephesians 4 verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. There it is, verse 1. You have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love this is god 's holy Word. you can be seated many years ago in uh, in Trina's in my first year of marriage, uh, Trina had a, a, a dentist appointment she came home from the dental appointment walked in the door and um, I, I said some things to her that perplexed her um, you know I, I said things that you know husbands should never say to their wives I, I said oh my gosh, what happened to your face? (laughs) And she looked at me hurt, like, why would you say that? She says, well, it just looks kind of like, like a swollen, and, and you're talking funny. And she said, well, Steve, I, I got a filling, and they, and, and they numbed my mouth, and it takes time for the, the Novocaine to wear off. And, and I'm like, they did not numb your mouth. And she said, yes, they did. They numbed my mouth. It takes hours for it to wear off, and that's, that's why my, my face is swollen. And I said, they do not do that. And, and See, I grew up in Malaysia. Um, in the jungles of Malaysia, Novocaine didn't make it there. And my experience at the dentist was no no numbing or any of that kind of stuff. And our fillings and teeth being pulled were the, no, the only numbing we got was the chest and you know the knee and the chest that held us down as it was happening. So when Trina's talking about numbing and Novocaine, I'm like, no, that can't be true. In fact, my experience was the de- with the with the dentist was in such a way that I. I don't like dentists. Now here's the reality. If you're a dentist, we all love you, you're great. Come volunteer at the Salem Free Clinics, we want you over there. But for me, my experience with a dentist vastly different than Trina's and to this day, I, I just, d- the word dentist is traumatic to me, all right? I, I don't want to. We got in another fight one time when Trina scheduled a dental appointment for me on vacation. And Nicole's trading in vacation. I'm like, I am not going to the dentist on my vacation. Den- the, the word dentist is a, a negative word for me. Now, here's the reality. As we talk about these callings... Some of these words, the word dentist is scary for me. Some of these words and these callings may sound scary to you. Hey, we, we read words like apostle and, and prophet. And, and uh, you, know, you might be okay with pastor, teacher. Or maybe, maybe even the word evangelist scares you. Hey, here's what I want us to, to do today. Would you just set aside you know, your fear of the, of the word for a second and listen to how, the, 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 what, how this calling is lived out? Because sometimes the word itself can be a mental block for us. And I'll explain these out first so, so we know how they are supposed to be lived out in, in, in the church. And as I do, I want you to pay attention to your heart. Because what we're going to do, I'm going to explain, I'm going to focus on these verses that talk about these five callings. I, as I describe them, I want you to pay attention to, to, the, to the one that causes your heart to lean in. To the one that ma- makes your heart beat a little bit faster. Because at the end, with our cell phones, we're going to do a little texting exercise, and we're just going to see in the 11 o'clock service or those of you who came to the 1110 service, we're going to see how how the callings are represented in, uh, in this particular service uh, live together on the screen. But let, let's lay them out because remember... You were created on purpose and for a purpose. You've been placed in this time of world's history on purpose by God and you have a life of significance that he's called you to. You you don't wanna be chasing empty dreams. We're trading those in and embracing the dream of the kingdom of heaven. So, Let's talk about these. I'm going to spend probably a little bit more time on apostle and prophet because those are the scariest words. And, and I think evangelist, shepherd, teacher, they'll, they'll come pretty quickly for you. So let, let's just understand this first, though. When Jesus is teaching in his day, he, he specifically and carefully chose words that would deliver meaning to those he was talking to. He would use common language that would, that would bring pictures to people's minds. He would use metaphors. He talked agriculture. He talked business just to help people understand what he was saying. Remember when he called the religious leaders uh, hypocrites? Jesus didn't just make up that word hypocrite. That was actually a word that came from culture. See, in the Greco-Roman world, on the platform, on the theatrical stage, actors were called hypocrites. The name was, was, the meaning behind the name was that these were people who were acting. The outside of what you were seeing from them did not reflect the inner reality of who they were. They were hypocrites, they were just, that was their profession. But when Jesus confronts the Pharisees and says to them, you're hypocrites, what he's saying, he's using common language to derive meaning for people who are listening and saying, look, these are actors. These are people who are living out an external reality that does not match the inner reality of their lives. And the people understood because they knew what a hypocrite was. And so even leaning into this first word, apostle, that you need to know that this is not a word that Jesus made up. It was a word that was in existence for many, many years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. The word apostle comes from the Greco-Roman world in which when Greece would conquer a country or Rome would take new land, what they would do is they would want this new conquered territory to understand the customs and the culture of Rome or Greece. So, what they would do is they would select envoys or ambassadors, and they were called apostles. And it really was a nautical term because many of them traveled by ship. And and apostles would go to a newly conquered land and their calling, their purpose was to go to that new land and train and instruct and teach these people of how to live in the new kingdom. Now, it's really important we understand that because the the apostles were discipling these people and how to live in this new kingdom that had had overpowered them. In fact, sometimes these apostles would take colonists with them and they would set up a model city in this conquered land so that the other cities, the other people could look at that city and say, that is the culture of the new kingdom that that is over us. Philippi, You know the the letter to the those living the the Philippians. That's Philippi was a model city of Rome, started by an apostle in, in in the Roman Empire. So when Jesus is with his disciples and he's about to ascend to the Father and he says to his 12 apostles, go into all the world, baptizing, teaching people to obey and to teach them everything that I taught you. Train, instruct, disciple. You are someone who's going to teach people how to live life in this new culture called the kingdom of God. This word apostle was a word that that Jesus gave to his 12 disciples. They were disciples and apostles. And they had a very unique role in the the launch of the church. But you need to know that those 12 men were not the only ones in the New Testament who were called apostles. In fact, I'll just throw a a list up here of other names you'd find in your New Testament where the, the word apostle is used To describe these people men and women so when we look at this first calling I'm spending a little bit more time on this one but look at this first calling what we're really talking about is people who God has gifted and called to be mobilizers of the movement that's the calling of the apostle. The, the one who has this apostolic calling, they get excited about the expansion of Christianity. They're dreaming about what could be. They're thinking about what's next. See, these people sometimes can absolutely wear you out. They've just, we've just did this, now it's this. And we got, we got to keep going because, men they're always dreaming about the kingdom expanding. That is this particular calling. The second scary dentist-like word is profit. Now, we're not talking fortune tellers here. What we're, what we're talking here about profit is I just use a subtitle here and call them guardians of faithfulness. These are people who are guardians of faithfulness. Remember when you, like, maybe as you study history or in school, you heard about the coal mining industry in the U.S. when men were digging into the side of mountains and extracting coal for energy. Back in the day, before technology uh, was was uh, available, what happened was men would they dig their way in the mountains and they'd hit these areas, these pockets of gas, natural gas, but they couldn't smell it. And so, what would happen is you'd you'd have miners who would die in the mine shaft because of a toxic environment there in the mine shaft. So, what they did is they figured out that you know they took a canary in a bird cage and took it with them when they were digging and if they were digging in the coal mine and they had one eye on their work and occasionally had an eye on the canary, if the canary dropped over, they got out because the canary was extremely sensitive to toxic environments. And so when the canary passed out, they got out. I Just throw that picture in your mind because that really is a a, a good picture of the prophetic calling. These are people who have a special sensitivity to the life that Christ has called us to. Put it to you another way. If people are embracing some other dream than the kingdom of heaven, they're living their life over here, uh, pursuing other values and priorities. They're doing that, and God's reality is over here. Here's the life we're supposed to be living. People who have this calling... They they perceive the gap from where the people are and where God is, and they're calling people to God. They have a a radar in their their spirit where they see the gap, and they want to call people to align their lives with God. that's That's the prophetic calling. Now, those two words there are probably the most scariest word, although the next word may scare you too, evangelist because the way things are are pictured for us uh, sometimes in, in the media. But an evangelist is an agent of conversion. This is a very special calling. These are your inviters, your investors, your conversers, your convincers. These are people that know sometimes people come to Christ on the road to Emmaus. It's process. But other times, people come to Christ on the road to Damascus. It's a moment. And they are tuned in to whether it's going to be a moment experience or a process kind of experience. And they, are, they sense exhilaration in sharing the gospel. Here's a great example for you. Last year, a year ago, in our clinic ministries, we had 17 people come to Christ. And then we got a, a volunteer who, who is, is an evangelist. And this last year... 88 people so far have come to Christ. Now, can you see the difference? There is someone who is living out their purpose. But as they're doing that, as we'll see, we need other people around them because if we are all evangelists, how will people be discipled, trained, instruct, taught about how to live in this kingdom of heaven? It's it's amazing what happens when people live out their calling. But we're all called to do this. Now, those first three, I'll tell you this. Those first three callings, these are people who are just fine with risk, adventure, and danger. They're all right with that. These next two, they're not okay with that. They may even have an aversion to risk or danger because the next one is a shepherd. I I didn't use the word pastor because sometimes we confuse that with position. These are not about positions. These are about callings. And the shepherd is the community creator. These, this is the person who's nurturing community, nurturing relationships. When you're sickening and uh, you're sickening and, and shut in your home, these are people who are calling and checking in on you, maybe dropping by your house. When you're unemployed and losing your job, these are people who want to meet that need and, and maybe financially, maybe just come alongside you. But these are people who are great at rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn they're community creators they're nurturers of relationships and then finally the last one is a teacher calling these are mediators of wisdom and understanding these are people who have been listening to me so far and in their mind they're going where's he going with this is this going to line up with the full counsel of God is he teaching truth is this line up with scripture or when we sing songs there are certain lines in a song they go can we sing is that true you know who you are. <laughs> they long to see theological formation take place in the life of the believer. They they long for they long for you to know God and to know his word, to know truth. Now, I've just quickly gone through them. We could spend a lot of time on each one of those. But I've quickly gone through these things to say, here's the five callings. And I'm going to put them in plain terms here for you. We're just going to throw another slide up here. And this, these are the basic desires. These are the passions of each of these five callings. I'm going to read through them. Now, you're, what you're going to discover is you probably have, there's several of these where your heart sort of beats a little bit faster to. But there's one, I'm guessing, there's one that you would say, Well, that one's me. I mean, if you had, if you had to make a decision, what I want you to think about is which one of these? Which one of these would you choose? Is it apostle? Here's what the apostle longs for. I want to see the church positioned for maximum missional impact and expansion. Prophet. I want to see people align their lives with God's values. Or it's the evangelist. I love playing a catalytic role in bringing people into the faith. The shepherd. I want to create healthy community where people know they're accepted and loved. Or the teacher. I want to help people understand truth and know who God is. Now, here's what we're going to do we're going to flip the screen over here and we're going to we're going to go and I'm grab your cell phones and I I want you having chosen one of those if you had to choose it today I I would like you to choose one of these and here's how you're going to do it if you got your cell phone, just the phone number you're gonna text to is 22333. If you've done the texting stuff we've done here before, that number should probably is in your phone. And if, if apostle is the calling, as I've described it, is the calling that most describes you, just put one mobilizer, just text that in, no, no, no spaces, just one mobilizer, text that one in. Uh, and likewise, if it's shepherd, you, for community evangelist three gospel and you have to put that keyword in and and send it in and now now we'll just go to the church and you will see live as you're sending in your answers where do we line up at and we'll see the different callings represented in the room now as this is happening and it's just sort of adjusting as we go along here here's the very important thing we need to recognize What's the first thing Paul gets to when he says, You've been called, live a life worthy of your calling? Humility, gentleness, peace, love. He, he's saying, Look, whatever your calling is, don't remember last week, don't fall into the temptation of your, your cravings, your appetite. It might be power, it might be control. Don't make compromises that relate to your allegiance to Christ. And don't give in to selfish ambition. You see, in each one of these, if one is overemphasized in the life of church over the other, the church cannot become who she was intended to be. We need all of these active, expressed in appropriate ways in the life of the church. Now, as we look at this, here, you're 11 o'clock service, so you get the benefit of the whole weekend hearing of the results. Number one result at 5 o'clock, 6.30, 8 o'clock, and 9.30, and so far at 11 is shepherd. Why can't we all just get along? (laughs) We love close-knit relationships. That's a great thing. It's a great thing. As we're doing that, number two over the weekend, guess what it is? Wisdom. Teachers, right? Because we wanna, we wanna know truth, and we wanna walk in a way that's the straight and narrow way. And the lowest ones among us are evangelists. I'd say the third highest ones, prophet, and then evangelists and apostles. And by the way, we don't need too many apostles because they'll make a mess of things. We just need a few. Okay? We need them. that's your, if that's your passion, I'm, I'm not devaluing that, but. But, you know, we, we as, as leaders, need, we need all these represented so that we can be healthy. Remember what Paul says. Remember what he says. Look, when we're loving each other, when these gifts are being realized in the church, then what happens is that the church matures, moves past this adolescent childhood stage. To what point do they mature? To the full measure of Christ. To the very full measure of Christ. So we wouldn't wanna we wouldn't want to shut down any one of these because we, wanna, it, we want to live a life of significance to which Christ has called us so that we can live out his purposes as individuals and as a church body. Think of a soccer game. We're on the field are only strikers and midfielders, no defenders and goalies. How's that game gonna go? Your team might score some goals, but you're gonna get scored on all day long. Think of an orchestra that only has bass players and viola players. No violins, no cellos. You will not experience the sound that was intended to be experienced by an orchestra. Think of a business that invests all kinds of of resources and manpower to to a sales force, but really there's no one back in the manufacturing plant producing any of the widgets. How long is that business gonna be around? We need all the gifts. We need you. We need you letting go of an empty dream. Church, the American dream is a dead-end dream. It's, it's not bad to have a home. It's not bad to have food on your table. But when that becomes an obsessive pursuit in our lives, we miss out on the significant calling Christ has given to us. It's a calling to live out the kingdom of God. Right here in Salem and Kaiser, we believe that God has a dream for our city. It's a city to be at peace with God. And we believe that dream will be realized, not when a few people align their lives with it. It's when the church does. And it will take all of us if it is going to happen in a way that the body of Christ matures in that journey. And may it be so.